Good morning. How are y'all doing? It's great having, uh, having an opportunity to gather, isn't it? So uh, let's, uh, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us right now, could we? Father, we're very thankful and grateful for the opportunity we have in a free country to come and worship you and come to uh, drink from your well. And Lord, I just pray that this morning um, that your scriptures would uh, maybe give us a new trajectory, maybe head us in a direction that we've never considered before. Lord, we, we just want to open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to you, and that you would speak to each one of us in our particular need. And Lord, we do pray for Dave and Cindy as they're away, and uh, Lord, we do ask that this would just be a great time of refreshment for them as they soak in Breckenridge, Colorado, and all the beauty there, all the splendor, and just rejoicing in you for this time away. And we thank you now for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to start out by asking y'all a question, if that's okay. Uh, during this, this past six to eight months, have you guys been worn out by all the talk about coronavirus? I mean, it's everywhere, 24-7 on the news channels. I mean, you pick it up, of course, you have to eavesdrop a little, in restaurants, in the line at the grocery store. I mean, we're even talking about it around the dinner table, right, with our friends and family, and I don't know about you, but it's just wearing on me. So it's wearing on you too? Yeah. Well, the reality of all of this is that many of us have much heavier cares and much heavier burdens that are weighing us down right now. Some of us have lost loved ones and the heartache that goes along with it. And Jesus says, come to me. Some of us are dealing with taking care of someone who is in their last days, some family member, somebody that we love dearly. And Jesus again says, come to me. And maybe people are dealing with things like having to homeschool for the first time. Jesus says, come to me. Maybe there's other hardships. Maybe there's a marriage that's on the rocks. And Jesus again looks to you and says, come to me. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world. There's a lot of things going on in our congregation and in our lives. Some people are dealing with cancer, some with joblessness, some with all kinds of struggles in their life, financial setbacks, and the list goes on, doesn't it? And Jesus simply comes to us and he says, come to me. Sometimes it comes wave after wave after wave. And Jesus still says, come to me. Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be great to find some relief with a lot of these things? We deal with them, don't we? They're in our lives, and sometimes it seems overwhelming. It would be great to experience some rest in the midst of all that God and the world has thrown at us. Because sometimes these things come from his hand. He's sovereign over all of this. 
Wouldn't you like to be able to cast all of those burdens on him and just leave them there with him? Yeah, well, that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to take all of our burdens, every single one of them, and give them to him. Do you think it's possible that the Lord is using these trials and tribulations and struggles in our lives in order to lead us right to the center of his heart? Of course it is. And that's part of the way he loves us, by drawing us deeper and nearer to him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives us an invitation. An invitation to come to him and to give him our burdens, to give him those things that wear us down. Those things that are overwhelming, exhausting, too heavy for us to carry. And in Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28, Jesus has these words for you today. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary today? Is the weight of the burden more than you can bear? Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. Did you notice that he's not asking you to come to anything or anyone else except him? No one else, nothing else, just him. He's not inviting us to church. No, he's not inviting us to a Bible study. Sometimes we can go to church, sometimes we can go to a Bible study, and we're not really coming to him. Every moment of the day, Jesus is wanting us to come to him. Not to the externals, not to some of these things that are very beneficial for us, but we've got to enter in by coming to him. Sometimes we get completely exhausted physically, psychologically, emotionally, even spiritually. And what do we run to? I just can't take another wave, can you? Sometimes it gets like that. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say he might give you rest. He doesn't say that you must perform well to gain this rest. No. He simply says, if you come to me, I will give you the rest. But you've got to come to me. This is Jesus' gift. It's a gift from him. It's his promise to us. Jesus' gifts have no strings attached, and he's always good on his promises. So what's this rest that he's talking about? What, that's kind of a, a word that's out there, but what does it really mean, Rick? Is he talking about having a good night's sleep? Is he talking about getting away for the weekend or some vacation? Is he talking about somebody taking care of your kids for a while? Well, that would be nice. No, I think it's very possible that he's talking about something much deeper than that. Much deeper. So what is this rest? Just what is it? Well, we go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to Genesis for a minute. Genesis chapter 2. There's been six days of creation, and guess what? God has spoken, and the entire universe came into existence. 
Now that's some power. I'd like to tap into some of that. How about you? But on the seventh day, what did he do? He got tired and worn out, and so he rested. No. God does not get tired and worn out like we do. That's why he wants us to come to him, because we get tired and worn out, don't we? And notice what he did. It says in Genesis 2, God completed all of the work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work. It was the work that he rested from, not because he needed to take a nap at 2 o'clock like I usually do. God's not only created a universe, he's also created rest. He created rest for us especially. And when he finished creating the universe, he rested from all his work. His, he rested because his work was done. There was nothing else he needed to do in creation. Where do you suppose Adam and Eve were on the seventh day? I mean, let's back up and think about it for a minute. Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day after all of the gazillion animals out there. I don't know how long it took God to create all the animals. He could have done it in one word or in several sentences or in half a day. I don't know. I do know this, that after he created the animals, Adam was created. And then Adam got to name all the animals. I don't know how much time that took, but that took a while. And Adam names all of the animals, and then God puts him to sleep because he can't find a helper suitable. And he takes one of his ribs, and he creates Eve out of the rib. And then he performs a wedding ceremony. This is on the sixth day. So I'm just guessing, I'm just speculating here that Adam and Eve hadn't been alive very long on the sixth day. They certainly didn't get a full 24-hour day with all the other stuff that went on before they were created. So the seventh day was actually their first 24-hour day for them to be with God, a full 24-hour day. I'm wondering if they were resting with God during that time. Well, sure they were. There was nothing for them to do. Creation was done. God had set rest up not only for himself, but also for us to enter into. And I think it's very possible that they were sitting in the Garden of Eden having a glass of iced tea with God. Yeah, maybe even with one of those umbrella straws. I don't know. But think about it. They were enjoying this relationship that God had created for them. And they were in perfect harmony with him. I told you I was going to spit. Stay off that front row. So they were in perfect relationship, perfect harmony. And what did they do? They rested. There was nothing for Adam and Eve to bring to the table to creation. Do you get the message of what rest is? Rest is entering into him. It's entering into what he's already accomplished for us. Has he accomplished rest for us when we're in our fix, in our trials, our tribulations? Yes, he has, and he wants us to enter into that. There's nothing that Adam and Eve could do to rest except to enter into what he had created. There was nothing for Adam and Eve to do either except to enter into his rest and enjoy the presence of their omnipotent God. 
they probably sat there at the end of the day with the stars and the moon overhead and just drank it all in. Their first 24 hours just soaking in the wonderment of the creation and of this creator who has omnipotence, all power, all authority over this entire universe, and he has it all in the palm of his hand. In fact, it says in in Colossians that Jesus holds the whole universe together by his power. Wow. And so, in that rest, what are they thinking? I think what they're thinking is, I need to have a conversation with this God. I need to ask him some questions. But before they even got the questions out, I think God turned to them and he said, Adam and Eve... I want you to remember this day. I want you to remember that anything that you're going through, you can come to me because I am. I am. I think he also said, you can count on me to come through for you every single time, no matter what's going on in your life. See what I've done. See what I've created for you. See this rest that you can enter every single moment of the day. But you have to come to me to enjoy this. We all know that that wasn't the only time God rested. In fact, there's two significant times God rested. First, in the greatest miracle that's ever been performed. Well, maybe not. I mean, creation's a great miracle, right? I mean, think about it. But there's another amazing miracle that God performed, and in that miracle, he raised Jesus from the dead. That's a pretty big miracle. Three days in a grave, body getting ready to start smelling, and he raises him back to life. And so, notice in Ephesians, that God, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter uh, 1, It says that when Jesus had made purification of sins, what did he do? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he sit down? Because it was finished. There was nothing else for Jesus to do for mankind. There was nothing else for him to do to set us free from the sins that he set us free from. That's a pretty big deal. So God rested again. Jesus rested. Why? Because he wanted us to enter into him and to his rest. Do you know that in the temple, in the tabernacle, the high priest could never sit down because chairs were not allowed in there? And the reason is because the sacrifices of the Old Testament were never finished. They could never sit down because their work was always ongoing always continuing, continuing to slay those animals, and the blood was running thick. And they never got to sit down because their job was never finished. Jesus Christ, our very high priest, sat down. Why? Because it was finished. It was the end of sacrifices. You and I have also had an opportunity to sit with him. And that's where Ephesians comes in. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. 
Wow, that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. Because you and I are now in the spiritual realm sitting and resting with him. He's invited us into that. Wow, what an invitation that we actually get to sit with the creator and the finisher of our faith. That's where you are right now in the spiritual sense. You can't see that, you can't feel it, but it's true of us. He's brought us into that. And he's brought us into it to help us recognize that it's finished. There's nothing for us to do. So when we get into the tangles of life, he doesn't want us trying to fix it. He just wants us to enter into the rest that is him. So the question comes, what am I turning to when I'm in dire need of rest? What are you turning to? Am I turning to him or am I, am I looking for rest in all the wrong places? And Jesus says to us, come to me. Not only does Jesus beckon us to come to him, but he also wants to develop a deeper, deeper relationship with us. And he does that by asking us, actually telling us to take his yoke upon us. He says in Matthew, I mean, in uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And there you will find rest for your souls. There's a difference here in verse 29 and 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, If you come to me, I'm going to give you a gift, and that gift is rest. I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you a place you can enter in, and that's me. In this verse, he's saying, if you take my yoke, you're going to find rest for your souls. It's a deeper issue. He's going deeper into the heart of the matter of what we really, really need. When he says, take my yoke upon you, we wonder, well, what does that look like? What is that exactly? Well, we've all seen farmers. We've all seen on TV, or maybe we have our own farms, or we've driven down the country road and seen ox or cows or some animals yoked together. And when they're yoked together, they do work together. So the picture is, is that we're entering into a yoke. We have to actually humble ourselves in order to get down into the yoke and allow it to be placed on our necks next to Jesus. What they did, in the, uh, especially in the first century, and they still do this today, it's a practice of farmers all the time. They'll take a full-grown bull ox, and they'll yoke it next to an adolescent or a calf. The reason they do that is because the full-grown ox is able to pull the entire load without the help. He's able to pull the entire plow without help. But yet he allows this calf or this adolescent uh, ox to be yoked with him so that he can learn from the full-grown bull. Picture yourself in that yoke. This is where Jesus wants you to come. If you don't come there, you're not going to find the rest that only he can give for your soul, for your mind and your will and your emotions. Jesus doesn't put a heavy load on us either. In verse 30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So the question again comes to us, have I surrendered to his yoke? Have I actually taken his yoke of discipleship upon myself? Because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about letting go of my agenda, my will, and allowing his will to be done in me. Am I daily appropriating his life so that he has permission to live his life in and through me? Am I willing to allow him to use my life according to his will, according to his plan, and not according to mine? Well, not only has Jesus invited us to come to him to take his yoke, but he also invites us to learn from him. So what does he want us to learn? What is it that he wants us to learn? It's right there in the verse, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, hum- uh, I'm sorry, I am gentle and humble in heart. I think that's what he wants us to learn. I think more than anything else we need to learn humility, gentleness, and that's who Jesus was. That's what he has to teach us. And he also teaches us how to be submissive to his father. The whole time Jesus was on the earth, he was submissive to the Father. He didn't do the stuff he did. The Father did that through him. Look it up. It's in John. It's in Acts. All the things that Jesus was doing, the Father was doing through him. He was our example of how to live a perfect life. Although we can't live perfectly, we can still allow the the Father and the Son and the Spirit to live his life through us. So what does it mean to be gentle and humble? It just means to enter into what Jesus already is and allow him to manifest that in our lives and through our lives. So let me ask you again, have you taken his yoke? Have you surrendered to his will? Are you continually learning from him and allowing him to do what he wants to do instead of you saying, no, I'm going to go that way? If you're surrendering him to him and submitted to his yoke, there's some good news he has for you. The good news is at the end of verse 29, he says, and you will find rest for your soul if you take my yoke and you learn from me. You're going to find something. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying if we want our souls to experience his rest, we have to submit to his yoke. This is rest for our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we surrender to his yoke for discipleship. He says we're going to find rest. That word find, think about what happened in California many, many years ago when they discovered gold. Everybody started going west in their wagons, right? Only about a third of them made it. I mean, they had to cross the Rocky Mountains. I mean, think about it. Deserts, animals. But when they got there, A lot of these gold diggers, when they would find a vein, what would they yell to the rest of the crew that was working with them? Eureka! I found it. It's interesting that that root word of eureka is the same word here, find. Do we realize that when we get into his yoke and allow him to do the work, We're going to find the rest that we've always wanted for our mind, our will, and our emotions. Without getting in that yoke, it's not going to happen. I mean, think about all the stuff that swirls around in your mind every day. 
Wouldn't you like to give that to Jesus and allow him to bring rest into that? How about your emotions? My emotions sometimes are on a roller coaster. They've settled down a lot through the years, but sometimes I still get on that roller coaster of emotion because my emotions usually follow what's going on in this swirling mind of mine. And then what about your will? Wouldn't you like for your will to settle in where you make quicker decisions or better decisions rather than procrastinating all the time? I procrastinate a lot, to be honest with you. But when I enter in and allow him to actually do things in me, I get decisions made a whole lot quicker and more accurately most of the time. So Jesus has given us an invitation. He's given us several invitations. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. And then rest will be yours. His school is not the same for everybody, though. Every one of us go through different things. I don't go through the same things you do. You don't go through the same things the person sitting next to you does. But as we remain in his yoke, we'll find that he is the rest. His yoke is custom fit for each one of us in this room, each one of us online. He uses all the trials, all the tribulations, all the struggles in our life for good. We all know the verse, Romans 8.28, but do we know Romans 8.29? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So what is the purpose that he's called us to? Verse 29 answers that. Verse 29 reads, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined for what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So all these things are good things. The all things in verse 28 is good things for us. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. But he's working things in us that could never be worked otherwise. And it's all going to be good for us. He's writing a different story for each one of our lives. Maybe you've had a lab test that's rocked your world. Jesus says, come to me. Maybe you're living in a year where you've asked, why, Lord? Why me? Why now? Jesus says to you, come to me. Or maybe it's been a year of rejection. Maybe somebody has looked you right in the face and said, you're not welcome here anymore. And Jesus says, come to me. Please hear me. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm not trying to make light of your pain or your challenges in life. What I want to do is make heavy the size of your God. And the best way I know to make heavy and to magnify him is to let somebody else speak to you right now.
savior. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. He's indescribable. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand it, but they found out they couldn't stop it. Yeah.
heart will sing no other name Jesus Jesus come on my heart will sing no other name Jesus oh Jesus my heart will sing no other name Jesus Jesus I know I'm running to your arms I'm running to your arms the riches of your love will always be imagination for a minute. Imagine you're a very weak person. Imagine you're carrying a very, very heavy load. Imagine you're going up a very steep mountain as a very weak person with a very heavy load to an impossible destination. And as you're trudging along, one step after another step, a pickup truck pulls up, and out jumps Jesus. Yeah, Jesus has a, no. He may have been a Texan, I don't know. But think about this. Jesus gets out of the truck, and he comes around. And he says, look, I see that you're a very, very weak person, and you're carrying a very, very heavy load. And you're going up a very, very steep mountain with an impossible destination. I want to ask you, would you come to me? Would you let me open the tailgate of my pickup truck and enter in? And you say, yeah, I'd love to. He opens the tailgate, and there's a cross in the bed. And maybe that's when you entered into salvation. Maybe you haven't entered into salvation yet. But he invites you in to what's happened at that cross for you. And when you enter into the tailgate and to the back end of that truck, he shuts the tailgate. He gets back in, and he starts driving up the mountain. But he doesn't get but a couple hundred yards, and he looks in his rearview mirror, and he pulls the truck over again. He gets out of the truck, and he walks around, and he looks at you in the bed, and he said, you know, I've invited you in because you're a very weak person with a very heavy load, going up a very steep mountain with an impossible destination. 
why haven't you taken the burden off your back and laid it in the bed of the truck? You see, we may have come to Jesus, but we may not have learned that he is just so powerful and so strong that he can carry every single ounce of the weights that we carry. So it's up to us to enter into that yoke so he can begin to do a work in us. So he can begin to release us from those burdens as we lay them down. And guess what happens to us when we lay down our burdens? Freedom! Freedom! Man, I get goosebumps thinking about this because it happens to us when we just lay it down. So I invite you today, lay your burdens down. Give them to Jesus. Come to him. No matter what you're going through, I know it's not easy. And we're all here for you too, okay? And so I want to invite all of our prayer team down. And if you would like to pray with someone, if you'd like to come and lay down a burden, if you'd like to come receive Jesus, if you'd like to come and declare your discipleship decision today to take his yoke upon you, then come. You're dismissed.